Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. As followers of Christ, it's essential that we spend time in His presence every day. Listen as Pastor Bill McGinnis shows us the importance of spending time in the presence of Christ in this message called The Room in the Basement with Orange Carpet. I am the oldest of three kids. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. And the summer before my seventh grade year, uh, my, we moved. So not the best time to move to a new school, a new area, but we did. And uh, my dad is a pastor, but he was bivocational, and so he uh, was very good as a carpenter. So he built a new home. Um, we were thrilled because that was our first home. Uh, we lived in church homes uh, before that, and so my mom obviously was excited. And uh, my parents were very wise. They knew that it probably would be a good idea that me and my brother not share a room. Uh, I was 13, he was whatever, he was eight, nine, whatever. And um, so three bedroom home, a ranch home, but there was a basement. So my dad partitioned off some of the basement and I got my own room in the basement. I mean, and it was nice. What was really cool is is just around the corner, uh, he put in a half bath. So I had my own little, little thing going on. My back in the seventies, we called it our pad. You know, so I had my own pad and, and, um, you know, in my bedroom, I had my, you know, stereo, you know, the big speakers back in those days. And, uh, I had a walk-in closet because it was underneath the staircase of, you know, I was just filing and profiling. I was so pleased with my room, but here's, here's the best part of it all. I was able to choose the color of the carpet. Now, if you know me, my favorite color is orange. Yeah, I'm going to ask Pastor Chad if we can keep this up here every week. <laughs> I love orange. So I was able to choose my own carpet. It was that thick. It wasn't rust orange. It was pumpkin orange like this. Rust is not orange. Rust is rust. And it was beautiful. And I was so pleased with my room. And um, like I said, I had uh, my stereo and... Uh, um, headphones, and I got an extension one Christmas so I could walk around the room with my headphones and be bopping and so forth. And many nights, I would go to bed with my headphones on, and I would put my albums on, and uh, I brought some of the albums. This is an album, okay? <laughs> kind of moldy. Um, the Imperials, you remember the Imperials, anybody? Okay. One more song for you. Anyway. Um, and then, of course, there's Andre Crouch, and uh, uh, this is another day, soon and very... Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Those people that have no idea what I'm talking about are watching online, aren't they? <laughs> Probably. And then my all-time, my all-time favorite group, a brother, two sisters and brother... Second chapter of Acts. Anybody remember them? There, okay, there are a few. Not very many. Come on. Um, second chapter of Acts. And so many nights I'd put on the album, headphones, get into bed, and that would be my time to connect 
with the Lord. I lay in bed. I would worship and I would praise the Lord. I, would, I was developing that relationship with him. And I remember many nights taking my needs to the Lord because God wants us to cast our cares upon him. And I remember very, very clearly eighth grade math class with Mr. Anderson. I'm telling you what, I remember, oh God, help me. I don't get it. I just don't get it. So help me. You know what happened? He did. And I remember later on in high school saying, God, man, I don't know, like what I'm hearing in the locker room. How do I deal with that? God help me. <laughs> and then my senior year of high school, like most seniors, we're asking God, God, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? He helped me. You see, what is so special to me, and, and, and I'm being real, sharing a personal story today, is God showed up in that room in the basement with orange carpet. In fact, not only did he show up, but he ministered to me. He challenged me. He forgave me. And in that room in the basement with orange carpet, he called me to be doing what I'm doing today. I would not be here on this platform if it had not been for that room in the basement with orange carpet. In fact, that room in the basement with orange carpet saved my life. You know, as we struggle with the real issues of life, and Pastor Chad is walking us through this sermon series as we go through Ephesians 4 and 5, I am concerned that many do not have a room in the basement with orange carpet. Yeah, I am referring to that daily time with Jesus. Not legalism, not dry discipline, not just checking something off your to-do list for the day and moving on, not something that is manufactured, but joyous abiding and soaking in the presence of Jesus, lavishly spending time with him, stopping long enough, quieting ourselves long enough, being still long enough to connect with our Heavenly Father in a world that is overconnected yet lonely, frantically busy yet accomplishing little of eternal value. Super informed, but we're terribly ignorant on what really matters. And what really matters is to abide. Abiding is a call to give Jesus the best of our time. Look at John chapter 15, just two verses. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, these verses are written in red. In other words, these are the words that Jesus spoke. Look at what he says. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. The teaching from John chapter 15 uh, takes place on the night that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Isn't it just awesome to imagine that's where our pastor has been this last week in Israel? I mean, he has been to some of these sites, and he is having a life-changing experience. Please pray for him as he journeys home on Tuesday, and uh, um, we're going to hear some great, great stories. In this passage, Jesus is giving his disciples one last charge. Before he goes to the cross, he says, hey, guys, here's one thing I want you to remember. One very important thing, and that's this. I want you to abide. I want you to abide in me. He is pouring out his heart as to what is important. And what is important to Jesus? That we abide. Very simply, abiding means to dwell. Abiding means to dwell, to be in someone's company. When we live in Jesus and he lives in us, that's abiding. We linger in him and he lingers in us. He is the source of our life. Abiding is patiently waiting in the presence of Jesus. Abiding is extravagant, concentrated daily times with Jesus and an all-day awareness of him. It is a constant communion in the midst of a crowded and busy life. Abiding. You know, men and women throughout the centuries have lived out this abiding principle. There are no heroes of the faith who did not live out this extravagant lavishing of their time with Jesus. And when we examine their private lives, we see that they needed to abide for strength and for wisdom. In fact, these great heroes of the faith, many of them were addicted to abiding. They were addicted to spending time with Jesus. It was their nourishment, their, their, their sustaining power in their lives. And I've, I have observed over the years the dependency that many missionaries, all missionaries have in regards to abiding. You know, there is no standardized formula for abiding, but scripture and biographies of men and women throughout the ages point us to two non-negotiables. And you know what they are. The Bible and prayer. The word of God and prayer. Consistent time in the word and in the presence of Jesus through prayer are the basic building blocks of abiding. Of abiding. Eric Little of Chariots of Fire fame won a gold medal in the 1924 Olympics in the 400-meter race, an event he had not trained for, but he ran because his favorite event, 
the 100-meter dash uh, was scheduled to be run on a Sunday, and he was, uh, that was a personal conviction that he would not run on Sunday, with that with Sunday being the Lord's Day. In 1925, uh, Little went to China to be a missionary, and he was arrested by the Japanese occupiers and was jailed and put in a concentration camp. And a fellow prisoner, before Little died, made this statement about his, uh, his cellmate, so to speak. He says this, What was his secret? He unreservedly committed his life to Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. That friendship meant everything to him. By the flickering light of a peanut oil lamp early each morning, he studied the Bible and talked with God an hour every day. As a Christian, Eric Little's desire was to know God more deeply and as a missionary to make him known more fully. Now, I I think I know what's running through your mind right now. I'm no Eric Little. I'm no hero of the faith. Man, I'm just trying to survive And the last thing I need, especially after the holiday season, is a guilt trip about Bible reading and prayer. Come on, give me a break. Can't you find something else in your file to refer to today? I tried. (laughs) I I, I didn't uh, want to go here. But you see, that's, that's, that's the issue. You see, some pastors do not want to guilt their parishioners Because in this 21st century, if we guilt parishioners too much, a couple of things may happen. Number one, you don't come back. Number two, you may not serve. Number three, you may not give. And then the worst thing, you may send an email. (laughs) (laughs) And as pastors, you know, we don't want to make you feel bad. We don't want you to feel guilty. But we get the struggle. We get the challenge. You think it's easy for this pastor to jump out of bed every morning and grab his Bible and run to the room in the basement with the orange carpet and spend an hour or two on my knees before God reading 14 chapters and then, you know, um, you think that's easy? You think I do that every day? (laughs) You think it's not a challenge? You think I don't like the remote control? You think, I don't like some of the hobbies and the joys of life? It's a struggle. And you see, we know that, especially this time of the year, many of us, January the 10th, we've started, you know, January, we started a new plan. We're going to read the Bible through in a year, and we're going to pray every day, and it's the 10th, and we've already blown it. I know. Been there, done that. Got the (laughs) t-shirt. What is most alarming, and the reason why some pastors choose not to speak on this very basic topic, prayer and Bible reading, is that we may convict ourselves. So I know what I'm talking about. And if you don't mind, you can just sit back and relax today and let me preach to myself. Okay? It's a challenge. 
a well-known pastor, was asked after more than 40 years of pastoral ministry if he had any regrets. He said, I have one regret. I wish I would have cultivated a more intimate relationship with God. Thomas Goodwin stated, our fallen nature is actually allergic to God and never wants to get close to him. Wow, really? Why? I mean, why do you think? Well, it's very simple. Do you think the enemy of your soul wants you to abide in Christ? Do you think the enemy of your soul wants you to connect with your heavenly father and find out what it means to truly, truly be a devoted follower of his? Do you think the enemy of your soul wants you to spend time in the room in the basement with orange carpet? Absolutely not. So he will do whatever he can, whatever he can. Now, yeah, I take responsibility. I'm lazy sometimes. I'm rebellious sometimes. I'm going to do my own thing, and no one's going to tell me what to do, right? I understand that. You see, many of us grew up with a checklist relationship with God. Pray 30 minutes. Check. Read three chapters. Check. Give 10%. Check. Change diapers in the nursery. Check, check. (laughs) And then the next week, things get a little busy. They get a little hectic. We rush out the door. And we say a prayer in the car thinking, okay, that's not bad. I I did that. And we read only a half a chapter. We forget to write the check. And we're done with changing diapers in the nursery. And, and, And what we do is we feel guilty. Why bother? This is nothing but defeating myself. So no longer am I going to make going to the room in the basement with, an or, uh, with the orange carpet a priority in, in, in my life. Especially if our relationship with Christ is all about doing. You see, let me, let me just help you a little bit. And it's taken me a long time to figure this out. I love my wife. I enjoy spending time with her. I like doing things for my wife. But when I do those things, when I spend time with her, when I tell her I love her, in my head, I'm not checking it off. I'm a good husband because I've done all these things. But why do we do that with God? Why do we do that with our relationship with God? You see, abiding is not about doing, but about becoming. Abiding is all about relationship. You see, the pursuit for intimacy with God is a journey. There are good days and there are bad days. You stay married forever. It takes forever to figure it out. You journey with Christ forever because it takes forever to move forward in that relationship. The quest is marked by a lifelong resolution to know God. There are no shortcuts or quick fix deals. Our commitment to Christ has to be a passionate commitment to know him. The critical mission of our lives is to know God and to fully enjoy him forever. And that happens in the room, in the basement, with orange carpet. 
This is a priority that can never be experienced in brevity. Rather, it's a commitment of our hearts that should endure for a lifetime. And I'm concerned that in the busyness of our culture, all of the things that are so important to us, the room in the basement with orange carpet is not a priority. Now, you understand the analogy, right? I mean, you don't have to have a basement. <laughs> you don't have to have orange. Okay, but the point is, you got to connect with God on a regular basis. <coughs> Abiding in Christ is not about cramming in another chapter before midnight or praying the Lord's Prayer on your knees at your bedside. Abiding is described so well in this passage, found in James chapter 4, verse 8. Look at what it says. James says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Abiding is a two-way street. God will always do his part, but we have to do ours. And I'm often asked, well, then how do you do that? I mean, you know, I try to do it, I fall asleep, and I get bored, and I don't always feel anything, and I, you know. Well, this coming Wednesday, and for the rest of the month and Wednesday nights, um, we're going to cover this topic very practically, uh, apply it to our lives, Ringing in the new year with the basics, how to spend time in the room in the basement with orange carpet. So we're going to talk practically how to do that. So come out Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. For the rest of our time together today, let's talk about some principles. Three principles of abiding. And um, man, this is not easy. This is not enjoyable. uh, But I'm confident it can uh, change our lives if we submit ourselves to them. Here's the first one. Let's get the worst one out of the way, huh? Simplicity. (laughs) Yeah. Living a more simple life. Simplicity. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Here I am, Jesus said. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You see, this is the Lord's great invitation to abide with him, to dwell with him, to be alone with him, to enjoy the pleasure of his company. But can we hear his knocking? Can we hear his voice over the clamor and chaos that all too often disrupts our lives? If his coming to us is drowned out by the hurried, cluttered distraction of our lives, how in the world will we ever become close to him? What we need, what we really need is a quiet, focused space in our souls where there is time and clear-headedness and an awareness of God's presence. I know. Sounds good, looks good on paper and the screen, but it's a whole other thing to live it out. You see, deep in our souls, isn't that something that we're longing for? 
Of course it is. And when we abide in Christ, all becomes well with our soul. One of the ways to create this abiding environment is through simplicity. Look at this definition on the screen. Um, Simplicity is bringing God's purposes into clear focus and shedding those things that distract us from them. So you may need to take that home and read that again and evaluate that for yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, you know what? My fear is that as he did with Eve, Satan should seduce you and I away from the simplicity and the importance of abiding with Christ. The Apostle Paul, in other words, is saying, I'm afraid that the enemy of your soul will take you away from what is really important, and that is abiding. Some questions. Let me ask you four questions regarding a simpler life. Are you, are you ready? <laughs> Question number one. Is there something you must do about your time with God? I would encourage you to write these questions down. And if we had more time, um, we would get into small groups and we would maybe talk about this or whatever. We can't do that in this setting. But I would encourage you to honestly, prayerfully answer these questions. You know, what I found is... I've learned that I need to spend more time abiding in order to get everything done. Everything within us says we don't have time. We don't have time. We don't have time. I rarely have time to abide. But when I do, it's amazing how it allows me to have the time, to get the time to get everything done. Here's another question. Question number two. Are the good things keeping you from the best? Are the good things keeping you from the best? I'll tell you you this. This is probably one of the greatest challenges in life. Determining the good from the best. We do a lot of good things. But sometimes those good things keep us from doing what is best. So evaluate and ask yourself that question. Question number three, are too many things draining your energy, leaving you exhausted, even resentful? Uh, Absolutely not. (laughs) Interesting question to ask after the holidays, isn't it? Can I ask you this? Are your Christmas decorations still up? You know what? If they are, that's okay. Relax. If they're still up at Easter, then let's talk, okay? (laughs) Is your house spotless? 
I don't mean to be disrespectful to those who enjoy a spotless house, but who cares? (laughs) (laughs) If it's keeping you from the best, not this time of the year, but uh, how, how stressful do you get over your lawn care? Um, you know, just little things. Um, my wife said amen to this statement. The dishes can wait till tomorrow. Two days, yeah, it gets a little bad. But, you know, in other words, again, we need to just change some of our priorities so that we're focused again more on the best than the good. Question number four Are the activities outside your home stealing time from those within the home? So what will your kids remember 20 years from now about your home, about your family? A blur of games, practices, activities, running through the drive-thru every night of the week just to get to the next event? Man, parents, let me, just, let me just cut to the chase and let me just be real. Our children, they learn how to abide. They learn how to spend time in the room in the basement with orange carpet by watching how you do it. When the youth pastor, the kids director talks about having devotions or time with the Lord, your kids should say to themselves, "Uh uh-huh, I know how to do that because I see my mom and dad doing that, and I've learned that's important. I'm concerned. (laughs) I'm very, very concerned. Um, You know, I've raised two daughters. I'm in my 50s. I know that surprises some of you. Um, I've, I've served 30 years in the ministry. I've taught parent classes. I've sat through all kinds of, of family counseling sessions with people. And here's what I'm concerned about. Parents are consumed with the wrong things today. Sorry, it's my opinion. Parents are consumed with the wrong things today. Parents spend so... Remember last week when Pastor Chad kind of came over here with a chair and said, can I meddle for a little bit? I don't have a chair, but can I meddle for a little bit? Okay, I will. Um, Parents spend so much time and energy focused on getting to the next game, to the next practice, that they take no time to get their kids ready for heaven. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we are consumed as parents with the next event, the next, the next activity. We want to make sure our kids have a fairyland life. And we make sure we take them here and there, make sure that they're fulfilled in the way we see fulfillment. But our kids don't even know how to pray. They don't even know how to turn to Genesis 1-1 without help. And it's because we as parents have, taught, we have not taught and we've not modeled that to our kids. Okay, I'll relax. Um, living in simplicity does, does not mean stopping all activities and saying no all the time. Absolutely not. However, 
It does involve refusing to excuse any longer the clutter and complication that drains our time and energy from abiding. Simplicity. Here's another principle of abiding. Silence. Silence. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Get used to quietness. Get used to silence. It's okay. What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? Turn off the TV? What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Turn on the TV? I mean, enjoy some silence in your life. In silence, God comes to restore us to himself. Only in silence can we quiet our souls, allowing our hearts to rest. What does silence create? These will come up quick. You won't be able to write them down. They're in the U version, U, U version on your phone. Where'd my phone go? There it is. Um, but what does silence create? It makes room for listening. It allows time for us to think. It gives us the freedom to observe. It provides space and time to heal. It lets us broaden our awareness. It opens us to the entry of peace. It invites us to know our limitedness and God's vastness in the silence. Hey, there is a time for noise. There is a time for all of that. There really is. But most of the time, God is in the silence. Look at what Mother Teresa says. She says, we need to find God, and he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. And so if we refuse to provide pockets of silence in our lives, we will always flounder in a fog, wondering who God is and what he's doing. Shh. Just be quiet. You know, one of the great opportunities I've had as a pastor here at Calvary is to travel the world with our mission teams. It's been awesome. Oh, man, just some incredible experiences. But if you ask a team member who has traveled with me, you ask them, so what does Bill do at the end of the day? Um, <laughs> you know, so often we come back at the end of a long day of ministry, sometimes working physically, dirty and tired and hungry, and um, uh, we'll clean up, we'll have dinner, and there's still three or four hours left in the evening. Many team players like to get together and play games and cards and hang out. And uh, where's, where's Bill? Where's Bill? Man, I just, I disappear. Because I love you, but I need to get by myself to prepare for the next day. And again, there's time for noise and, and all of that. But we need to spend time in the silence. In silence. Number three. Solitude. Simplicity, silence, and solitude. 
Three principles for abiding. Solitude may be one of the most difficult disciplines to practice because so many of us are afraid to be alone. Now, that was one of the disadvantages about the room in the basement because I was down there by myself, <laughs> you know, and uh, everyone else was upstairs. That's where the fridge was, the TV, and the rest of the family. And sometimes I, I'd be downstairs getting ready to go to bed, and it was quiet, and you would hear noises and... You know, but after a while, I got used to it. I kind of liked it, that solitude. Solitude allows us to rest. It gets us away from the constant push and pull of others' demands, interruptions, schedules, and expectations. And what does solitude create? Once again, these will move fast, but listen carefully. We discover our own thoughts. We filter out the non-essentials, the things that are just not important. We find our own pace. We rest and regroup. We recall the meaning of our unique call and purpose. We hone and clarify what we value, what's important for us. We gain perspective. We reinforce our focus. And we become more attentive to God. It's hard to hear God in a crowd. Silence and solitude are wonderful spiritual twins because they offer essential moments of sanity amidst the craziness of life. So, here's the deal. I dare you. <laughs> Try it. Be quiet. Slow down, turn off the cell phone, seriously, <laughs> turn it off. But what if, turn it off. <laughs> but what if I miss the next weather report? Turn it off and sit still by yourself and learn to listen to the voice of your heavenly father. Well, how do I know what? You'll know if you Turn the phone off, <laughs> sit still, get by yourself, and just shut up. I mean, just be quiet, okay? <laughs> Probably one of the most favorite books in my personal library is this book by uh, A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. And I would encourage you, you may want to get a copy of this. You can probably go online. Uh, my copy says over one million in print, so hey, um, A.W. Tozer, uh, this was written in 1948. The language is a little 1948-ish, but you can still understand it. I, as I was reading the, uh, uh, the introduction here, I found out that in the 20s, A.W. Tozer pastored here in Toledo. Anyone know that? I mean, I just think that's really interesting. So he, he wrote this book, and um, it is said that this book was literally written on Tozer's knees in 1948. The title, The Pursuit of God on His Knees, kind of makes a little bit of sense here. And um, check out some of the titles of the chapters. Following Hard After God. The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. Apprehending God. The Universal Presence. The Speaking Voice. The Gaze of the Soul. 
meekness, and rest. And um, I have determined, I'm going to read this again this month. But uh, at the end of each chapter, A.W. Tozer writes a prayer. And after chapter one, following hard after God, this is the prayer that A.W. Tozer wrote. It will be on the screen. He says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that so I may know thee indeed. Begin in me, begin in mercy, a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you do with that? This is what I would encourage you to do with that. The prayer is uh, written on your sermon notes at the bottom. I would encourage you to take that prayer with you. And I'm going to do this for a good couple of weeks. I'm going to pray this prayer every day. It's okay to pray, to read a prayer or to pray a, a, a prayer like this. It's okay. And see what God may do in your heart and in your soul as we focus learning how to abide in Christ as we focus spending time in the room in the basement with orange carpet. Would you stand with me today? And Aaron, lead us into this song one more time before we leave. Draw me close to you Never let me go I lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm your friend You are my desire else will do cause nothing else can take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace help me find my way bring me back to Thank you.
God, that is our earnest desire on this January 10th snowy winter morning. That we would long for you, that we would pant after you as a deer pants for water. Birth within us, God, a greater desire, a greater longing to lavishly, extravagantly spend time with you. Teach us, show us how to do that. And then as we do, God, I pray that you would change our lives. Thank you, God, for being so good to us, faithful to us. In Jesus' name I pray today. Amen.